Hey everybody, welcome to the Your Move Podcast, where we are all about helping you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. I'm Andy Stanley, and before we jump into today's podcast, I wanted to take just a moment to personally thank everyone who supports Your Move. It's the generosity of people like you, our podcast listeners and subscribers, that make this podcast possible. If listening to the podcast has inspired you to make better decisions or perhaps live life a little bit differently, I hope you'll consider supporting Your Move with a tax-deductible gift. Just text your move, all one word, your move to 77977. That's your move to 77977. Or visit yourmove.is slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Again, to donate, text your move to 77977 or you can give online. As always, thanks for your support. And now back to the podcast. We are just days into a brand new year. You already know that. And most of us, I mean, this is, I include myself in this. Most of us want this year to be better than last year. And this year can be better than last year, but it's gonna require some things from us. I mean, I think you would agree with that. If we just do what we've always been doing, we're gonna get the same results year after year after year. But there is a way to have a brand new year, I mean, a better year, but it's gonna require a bit of honest and honestly awkward evaluation. It's gonna require a bit of honest and awkward contemplation and even some honest and awkward transparency, perhaps, with another person. So if you want this year to be better than last year, maybe even the year before, I wanna ask you a question and I want you to consider this question and I'm gonna ask you this question about four or five or six different ways. Here's the question I wanna ask you as you think about entering a brand new year. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that actually, if you're honest, has a hold on you? And what are you holding on to that has a hold on you that the people around you who love you secretly or maybe not so secretly wish that you would let go of? What's weighing? What is weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? What's weighing you down because you, it's really up to you, because you refuse to let it go. And initially, you thought this would make your life better, but actually, it's just made your life more complicated. What is slowing you down? What is slowing you down? Because you just won't put it down. What are you dragging around? That's slowing you down because you just won't acknowledge it and let it go. What are you you holding onto? What are you holding onto that you kind of feel compelled to keep hidden? You just don't want her to ever find out. You don't want him to find out. You don't want them to find out. If your kids knew, you would just be humiliated. If they found out at work, if your friends knew, if he knew, if she knew, if your roommate found out. I mean, if if they found out, you would be so humiliated, but you keep dragging this thing around, hoping nobody's gonna find out. And the truth is, come on, they know something's up, right? Let me ask it one final way. What are you holding on to that's making a monkey out of you? Because this is in fact how you trap a monkey. Let me explain it to you, you can look it up later. You tie a large coconut to a tree. You hollow out the coconut. You place a banana in the coconut. The monkey sticks his or her hand into the coconut, grabs the banana, and refuses to let it go. And you don't really trap the monkey this way. The monkey actually traps itself. But as you'll discover if you look this up, not all monkeys can be trapped this way. There's only a certain kind of monkey that can be trapped this way. 
the monkey that lacks the intelligence to let go of the banana. So the bottom line for today's message, if you have to leave early or you fall asleep or your electricity goes off, here's the bottom line, okay? Here it is, ready? Let go of the banana and run away, okay? It is that simple. Now, if you're not a Christian or not a Jesus follower, the way we describe it here, if you're not really following Jesus, you're not a religious person, however you describe yourself, um, that's pretty much all I have for you, okay? You, you, you can take it from here. You just gotta identify what it is you're holding on to, realize that it's costing you at home, it's costing you financially, it's costing you in terms of what's happening to your body. I mean, you, you know better than I do. We know, you know what's going on in your life. So the bottom line is, you just need to let it go and you need to walk away. You, you take it from there, it's up to you, it's your life. And you, if you haven't heard me say this before, I just acknowledge what you already know, and that's I have no right in the world to tell you how to live your life. I don't have any authority over you. Your life is your life if you're not a Jesus follower. So you just kind of take this practical application and run with it, okay? Um, but before you do that, I just do wanna add one thing and then I'll talk to those of us who, who are Jesus followers for just a second. I would add one thing. It's important to know, and I've kind of already said this, that it's possible whatever it is that you're holding onto that you're dragging around, you're not just hurting yourself. By holding on, by holding on, you are actually holding off by holding on, you are actually holding off the people who love you the most and the people that you love the most. And as I said, they kind of know something's up and they may have tried to talk to you about it before and you got so defensive and you got so defensive that they haven't brought it up so you think they've forgotten it or you think they don't notice it. They haven't forgotten, they notice. They just don't wanna face your defensiveness. So as you consider, again, I'm just, this is just suggestions. I, I'm not saying you have to do anything. You're, we're just, you know, you're just here, you're just watching. I would just highly recommend that if you realize over the course of the next few minutes that yeah, you're holding on, something to, holding on to something that's holding you back. For the sake of the people you love and for the sake of the people that love you, would you just let it go? Now, if you are a Christian or if you are a Jesus follower, there's more, okay? Because for those of us who are Christians, the problem with being mastered by anything is that we already have a master. And we don't like the word master because it conjures up ideas and images of slavery. But let me just ask you a quick question. What do you call this if this isn't slavery, right? What do you call this if this isn't being enslaved? If you can't let go, or if you refuse to let go and whatever is in here is influencing and controlling your life and impacting your life and degrading your life and causing you to experience things you never intended to experience, if that's not slavery, what is that? So the interesting thing is for those of us who are Christians, the apostle Paul, who was a Jewish, first century Jewish man who again became a Jesus follower, he was a Pharisee, super bright guy, super smart, wrote much of the New Testament because we collected his letters or the first century and second century collected his letters and they became part of what we call the Bible. Um, and the apostle Paul wrote a long extended letter to Christians living in Rome. So it starts like this. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone or something, when you offer yourselves to someone or something, when you offer yourself to someone or something as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. That is when you stack your hand in there and get tied to rope to chain to something and you refuse to let go, you are obeying that thing. You are obeying that dynamic, that habit, that pastime, that pathway, whatever it might be. And when you obey it, you make yourself a slave to it. 
Whatever you say yes to or whoever you say yes to, to to the degree that they're controlling your behavior, that thing or that person has become your master. It's like, now, if, if, if you're thinking, wow, I never thought of it that way, that's why he started off with, don't you know? Because we don't think this way. He's like, you need to think this way because in a minute, I'm gonna challenge you to let go, but I want you to understand what's at stake. This is a big deal. He goes on. He says, whether you are a slave to sin, I'll explain that in just a minute, which leads to death or to obedience to God, which leads to Righteousness. Now, let me define sin for you, okay? Sin in the New Testament is so simple to understand. In fact, it is so easy to understand that we almost don't wanna understand it on purpose because sin in the New Testament is anything that hurts you and anything that hurts the you beside you and anything that hurts the yous that you live with and the yous that you're raising and the you that you married and the you that you're dating and the you that you hope to marry and the you that you work with. Anything you do that hurts the use that you don't even know is a sin, and here's why. Because it's the, the verse that all of us have heard at some point, for God so loved all the use. For God so loved the world. And when you love someone and someone hurts someone you love, you consider that wrong. God says, I'll just put the S word on it. I consider it a sin. So when you hurt you, who God loves, and when you hurt the yous around you that God loves, that's a sin. You don't even have a list. It, it is so simple, it is so compelling, and it is so demanding. So the apostle Paul says that whether you're a slave to sin which leads to death or obedience, or obedience to God which leads to righteousness, he's talking about any behavior that undermines you or any behavior that undermines the yous around you. The, the easiest way to think of it is this. If it's not good for him, that's a sin. If it's not good for her, defer. If it's not good for you, it's just something you shouldn't do. And here's why. He says, because sin leads to death. Now, when you see this, I don't know what comes to mind, but here's what the Apostle Paul means because he teases this out in other, other letters that he wrote, that sin actually kills things. James, the brother of Jesus, would come around and say the same thing. Sin kills things, and now that we've defined what sin is, you know this to be the case because if you went through a painful, dreadful, long, expensive divorce, somebody sinned, didn't they? Now, you may not be a religious person, but somebody did something to you or perhaps you did something to them. You had a secret, you were unfaithful, you broke a wedding vow, you hurt them, that's a sin. Sin kills things. And you know what else sin kills? Sin kills your peace. And again, this isn't even necessarily a Christian thing. Sin kills your peace with the other people that you've sinned against. And sin kills your peace with God because your conscience bothers you. And sin actually kills your relationship with you. Because again, of who you begin to see in the mirror. So, of course God, who has invited you to address him as heavenly father, of course God, who loves you so much, he sent his son into this world to pay for your sins so you could have it. Of course God is against sin, not because he's against you. God is against sin because he's for you and God is for the use behind you, beside you, in front of you, and the use that you live with and work with all the time. Sin kills things, but, and here's, you know, here's the application part. Obedience actually makes things right. Doing what's right, and we've all experienced enough of this to know how true this is. Doing what's right when it's hard. You've, you've, I don't know if the last time you've done anything right that it was hard. You did something right and it cost you something. You, you did something right and people misunderstood, but you knew it was the right thing. 
that doing what's right when it's hard is what makes things and what keeps things right. It's what makes things and keeps things right between you and God, between you and people, and between you and you. Because there's nothing better in the world than going to bed at night and laying up and look at the ceiling and saying, you know what? I don't know what's gonna happen, but I did the right thing. And there are few things that will tear at your soul more than facing yourself in the morning in the mirror and going, you know what? I was a coward. I was a chicken. I lied. I deceived. I did the wrong thing to protect myself. And then you give yourself 25 reasons why you needed to do that. But at the end of the day, sin has taken its toll on your soul. And so God, who loves you, through the words of the apostle Paul is saying, come on, sin kills things. But obedience makes things right. Obedience to God sets things right between you and God, between you and others, and maybe most importantly, between you and you. So he says, but, because there's a contrast here, but thanks be, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, although in the past you had your hand in the bucket and you wouldn't let it go, Thanks be to God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to not just believe, because believing doesn't make much difference. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And I love this phrase, because in this simple phrase, pattern of teaching, the apostle Paul is saying, come on, I'm introducing you to, or I'm inviting you into a brand new way of thinking about everything. This is a pattern for living. This is a new way of seeing the world. This is a new way of seeing yourself. This is a new way of seeing your family. This is a new way of seeing every you you are ever eyeball to eyeball with. This is a new way of seeing God. This is a new way of understanding forgiveness. This is a new way of viewing your stuff, your money, your time, your future, your career. This is a brand new pattern of thinking. And it centers on this very, very simple, compelling, terrifying idea that we, because of what God has done for us, are to do for others. We are to do for others, in essence, what God has done for us. We are to treat others in accordance with the way that God through Christ has treated us. He says it's a brand new pattern of living. And if you will embrace it, and if it will become your heartbeat, and if you will move it from your head to your heart, it will change everything and it will compel you to finally and at last let go of the things that are, that are keeping you back to let go of the things that are weighting you down. Because his overarching command is tied to his extraordinary gift. We are to love because we are loved. And when that becomes the driving force of our life, anything, 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 anything that I realize is not good for you, that's not good for him, that's not good for her, that's not good for me, becomes off limits. Obedience, this is what he's saying, obedience frees you Obedience to God frees you. It doesn't, it doesn't enslave you. Obedience to God frees you from the complications and ultimately the consequences of sin. Now, Paul knows that we're reading this because you know I'm kind of teasing it out and adding to it. But if you read it quickly, it's kind of like, okay, I, I think I understand, but I, I have some questions. Paul's like, okay, oh, I, I skipped a part. Do you not know that your bodies not your belief system, this is all so practical. Do you not know that your bodies are temples? In other words, he's writing, he's never met these people. He's like, you know what, I, they may not know. They may not know that their bodies are temples. Now, when you see this, you think one thing, but first century people, when they heard this read or when they read it, here's what they thought, they thought, my body's not a temple, a temple is a temple. A body is a body. 
And a body's not a temple and a temple's not a body because they'd all been to temples. A temple is a sacred site. A temple, this is how they thought in the first century, a temple is where heaven meets earth. If you wanna know where heaven meets earth, heaven meets earth at the temple. And the apostle Paul says exactly. God has done something radically new. And from now on, because of what God has done, the person next to you is more sacred than any sacred site you've ever visited or have ever heard of. That the person sitting behind you is more sacred than the city of Jerusalem to Jews. That suddenly God has done something so radical that people have become more sacred than sacred sites. Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Why? Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit who is in you. I mean, this was breathtaking. I mean, they had to set it down and think a minute like, wait a minute, if this is true, then you are sacred and you are sacred and you're sacred and you are sacred and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm not sacred. You have no idea. I don't even have enough hands to tell you how many balls I'm hanging onto and dragging stuff around. And Paul says, wait, you misunderstood me. I didn't say you were sacred because of your behavior. I said you're sacred because of who lives inside of you that you are surrounded, you live with, you date, sacred. And he says, and here's the implication of that. And this is huge. Again, it's that thing that if it got from here to here, it would change everything. It would change our city. Once upon a time, it almost changed the whole world. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in you. Oh, and by the way, what is true of temples is also true of you. You are not your own because temples belong to the gods. The temple belonged to God. And he says, because you're a temple, you are not your own. Now, in the first century, here's what they thought. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is starting to sound like the whole slavery thing again. He says, yeah, that's where I'm going. You were bought at a price. This was so offensive in the first century. We colonialized this, but I'm telling you, first century, it was more graphic than what we think of when we think of slavery. Because in the first century, those, many of the people who read this had owned or possibly still owned slaves. People who read this had been slaves, were now freemen. Some of the people who heard this were actually slaves. And Paul says, as offensive as it sounds, and as terrible as it sounds, you need to understand that you don't belong to you if you've placed your faith in Christ. You belong to him. You have been purchased with a price. Now, again, that sounds so offensive to us, but it's because we don't know what our price was. Now, this is important, a little economics 101. I was a journalism major. I took no economics class, so if it doesn't rhyme, I don't understand it. So here's everything I know about econ, okay? Economics 101, the perceived value of a thing is what it will bring. Now, if it didn't rhyme, I don't understand it, so I had to make it rhyme, okay? The perceived, not the actual value, because there is no actual value. There's only perceived value. The perceived value of a thing is what it will bring. That's how you determine what the price of something is, is what it actually brings. Perceived value determines the price that a person is willing to pay. Now here's something that's amazing. You were purchased. There was a price put on you. And the price determines your value in the eyes of God. And the price that God paid for you and paid for me, that's right was his son. And, so, and for these Romans, you know, reading this or hearing this read, we, at first what was so horrifying and so demeaning and so undignified, suddenly they sit up straight and they think, I didn't know that. I'd never thought of it 
like that, that by sending his son to pay for my sin, he expressed a value and placed a value on me that I can't even begin to imagine. You were purchased, you were purchased with the blood of God's son. God's son gave his life, don't miss this, you've heard it, but don't miss it. God's son gave his life for you, question. What has the thing you're clinging to offered for you? What has the thing that you won't let go of sacrificed for you? What price has this paid in order to benefit you? The truth is, it's costing you. So why, this is Paul's point, why honor this? Why empower this? Why bow down to this? Why make something that's actually hurting me and the people I love? Why allow it to be my master? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And then he gives us the punchline, the application, the hey, if you don't hear anything else, don't miss this. Therefore, therefore in all your behavior, in all of your relationships, every decision you make, I want you to honor God with your behavior. I want you to honor God with your body. What does that look like? It's very simple. We honor God by honoring those that God honors. You honor God by honoring those that God honors. And when you're hanging on to something, clinging to something that demeans you, that creates a lack of dignity in you, or expresses a lack of dignity or worth in other people, you have to let that go. Because that's not honoring God with your body and it's overlooking and missing what the incredible, incredible price that God paid for you so that you can have a relationship with him. Anything that gets in the way of my love for you, anything that gets in the way of my love for you needs to be moved out of the way. And anything that gets in the way of your love for other people needs to be moved out of the way, it's in the way. So back to our original question and then we'll wrap this up. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding onto that's holding, your back, holding you back from being able to have a clear conscience with your Father in heaven? What are you holding onto that's holding you back from having the relationship you always dreamed of with your own children? What are you holding onto that's holding you back? Is it your anger? Is it a habit? You know what habit, you know habits start. Habits don't start as habits. Habit starts as, oh, that would be fun. Oh, that would be nice. Oh, everybody else is doing that. It's just a, it's just a pastime. And then over time, you realize it's a pathway and suddenly you're a slave. Maybe this is the hardest one. Maybe this is a somebody. Maybe this is a friend. Maybe this is a group of friends. In fact, for some of you, it is a group of friends. And every time another friend or your mom or your dad or your uncle or your aunt or your grandmother sits you down and tries to talk to you about your friends, you are so defensive. And you look at her and you say, you are so judgmental. And she's not being judgmental. She is using good judgment. So come on, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your father in heaven. You owe it to your future you to just let it go. Maybe it's a form of entertainment, maybe it's gaming, maybe it's alcohol, maybe you've been ignoring your health or maybe you're too into your health. Maybe your family is competing with something you own. Your family feels like they're competing with something that you do. And, and this is, I know I'm 
you know, out there on thin ice. This may be something that you need to let go of for now that you don't necessarily need to let go of forever. Every season of life requires different things from us, right? Um, many, many years ago, I used to run all the time. It was just really my only exercise. And I ran a couple of half marathons. I know you're shocked. And um, after the second half marathon, I decided, well, you know, I'm halfway there. I need to run a full marathon. Well, for those of you who run, that is not a casual endeavor. That's not 15 minutes at lunch, you know. That's an hour and a half after work. I mean, this is a big deal to train for marathon, especially if you don't want to get hurt. And so I would get home, pat everybody on the head after being at work all day, change clothes and run right out of my driveway because the neighborhood we lived in, it was a great place to run. And I'd run for an hour and a half. Then I come home, you know, and you know, I, so daddy's home, oh, daddy's gone. You know, daddy's home, it was, it was you know. So one day, I'm, you know, our, our cul-de-sac was at the bottom of a long hill. So it was great, you could, I could finish, you know, dun, 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 dun. I could really, you know, speed up, it was great, you know. One day I'm running down the long street to the cul-de-sac and standing off, you know, right next to our brick mailbox, is my son, Andrew, he's our oldest, but he was about this tall. He's holding something, I can't tell what it is. I get down there and he's got one of my t-shirts. He says, dad, I brought you this because I know when you come in, you change t-shirts. Yeah, oh, exactly. In that moment, it was like, okay, come on. Come on, Andy. How important is this really? Well, I gotta be able to say I did a marathon. So why? Well, so, I can say I did a marathon. I get a t-shirt. I get a t-shirt. And there's my little son like, dad, we're glad you're home again for the second time today. He didn't say that. So you know what I realized? This isn't for you. I know you're hating this illustration. Some of you is like, oh, great. I'm glad he doesn't play golf, right? So <laughs> my, my point is this, this, this you know what? This, this may be something that's actually a good thing. In a different season of life, but right now, it's a hindrance and you kind of know it and you've already had that discussion and it's like, oh no, I don't wanna keep talking about that. But come on, you've been bought with a price. God loves you and he's inviting you to a way of life where you set down every single encumbrance so you can be fully his because you already have a master. Now, if you really wanna have an awkward but powerful start to this year, just ask someone. Am I holding on to something that's holding me back? Because the people closest to you and the people that love you most, they know the answer to this question. And if you're married or if you're engaged or if you're in a relationship where you feel like it's moving in that direction, am I holding on to something that's holding us back? And if so, just let it go because you don't have any business being mastered by anything or anyone. If you're a Christian, you already have a master. A master who demonstrated, who demonstrated, didn't just talk about it, didn't just believe it. A master who demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still hanging on to stuff that was holding you back, that while you were still a sinner, while you were still ignoring people and being unkind to people because it suited you and because it benefited you, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for your sin. He gave his life for you and then he's invited you to follow him. If you're not a Jesus follower, come on, you should be. Take a step, take a baby step. Get some questions answered, read a book, just come back to church, just listen, sign on again and watch next week. Just take a step. You should consider it. If you used to be a Christian or used to be a Jesus follower, you should reconsider it. You've lived long enough to know what I've said is true, that sin kills things. In fact, let's just 
be super personal. If you had been following Jesus a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, whenever it was, you may have avoided your greatest regret. If you had been following Jesus in that season of life, you may have never stuck your hand in the jar and taken hold of that shiny thing to begin with. So, in addition to letting go of what's holding you back, I hope that you will take hold of the one who brought you back and bought you back and who will lead you to life that he describes as abundant, extraordinary, and as the Apostle Paul would later write, life that is truly life. Hey, as always, thank you so much for listening to this week's Your Move podcast and a special thanks to all of our financial supporters who make this podcast possible. If you would like to make a tax-deductible gift to Your Move, it's very easy. You simply text Your Move, all one word, that's Y-O-U-R-M-O-V-E, to 77977. Just text Your Move to 77977. Or you can visit our website and donate there at yourmove.is slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Again, thank you so much for your support.